HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love. All for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Tessa Price, who leads programming for WeWork Food Labs, which is both a workspace and an accelerator for early stage food entrepreneurs. Previously, Tessa was the Director of Operations and Community for Pilotworks, the failed shared kitchen startup. That's such a sad way to I know, put it. It's, I know. I always <laughs> want to be upfront about it, but yeah. it also, and our, like, our public a, affairs guy is always like, take the failed yeah, out of your bio. Yeah, maybe not to say failed. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, she has over a decade of experience in the hospitality and restaurant space, most notably leading concept development for New York standbys, Le Pen Quotidien, and Taim. Welcome, Tessa. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm so happy you're here because I feel like we met a couple months ago and we had probably like an hour and a half and I just felt like it took four minutes. Like I just wanted to keep talking. Um, So I thought that you would be uniquely sort of positioned to, since you're neither a founder nor a funder exactly, um, or someone like kind of entrenched, but you kind of have a little bird's eye view of what's going on in the, in the ecosystem. Um, I thought it'd be really great to get some of your sort of words of wisdom. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but before we get to all that, um, growing up, were you a food person? Were you a brand person? Where did you grow up? What did you want to be? All that stuff. Yeah, I was 
maybe aggressively a food person from Great. a super young age. Yep. Love that. Um, my great grandmother owned a diner. Um, oh. And it had sadly closed by the time I came around. But right. that spirit of cooking and community was yep. just always a really big part of my household. And my father's an amazing cook. And right. it, like I grew up around food. We have pictures of me at like two years old, like completely naked, covered in brownie batter. Yeah. Just like <laughs> making food. Living so, life. Yeah. Where were um, you? Where'd Lancaster, you Pennsylvania. So I am like Amish. Yeah. Yep. I'm technically Mennonite. Right. Okay. <laughs> by by uh, heritage, I guess. My college um, roommate was from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. Yeah. It has amazing, amazing food and such a rich culture. So I'm Pennsylvania Dutch. Yep. Um, and essentially, my family has been in that space, like that physical geographic location, for about 200 plus years. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, in that upbringing, I mean, I don't know how sort of like in the in the sort of zeitgeist you sure. were or weren't but did you have brands like food brands that you connected with or that you sort of like that you look back on with nostalgia yeah and I think what's interesting is some of the brands that grew up that I grew up with I'm like so near and dear to my heart are now mainstays so mm-hmm. Martin's potato rolls which mm-hmm. <laughs> like have skyrocketed to right like they're the potato roll like they were made down the street from where I grew up. Yeah. Um, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Yep. Like I grew up going to Hershey Park. Um, so, so many like local brands that yeah. I feel like were just a part of my childhood. Yep. Um, I think I've seen kind of grow to be part of, of the broader food scene recently, which is really cool. And did you, I mean, did you always think that you would go into something food related or were you, did you want to be something else? Was, I mean, yeah, you're it, kind of on the quieter... <laughs> but strong side. So I don't, well, I'll take I, that. yeah. So, I mean, it's an interesting, like whatever your Myers-Briggs is, is kind of fun. So what, what were you thinking that you wanted to do? Yeah, I, um, my parents are entrepreneurs. So my mm-hmm. parents started their own business when I was five. Um, and it never really occurred to me to work for someone else. Yep. So I think the food industry felt like a really natural fit. I also, I love to cook. Yeah. Um, I actually, was going to go to culinary school um, and ended up visiting. I went to tour the Culinary Institute of America mm-hmm. and my mom was like, oh, while we're up here, you should look at some other schools in the area. Right. So I went to tour Marist, which is a business school next door. Uh-huh. Um, and as my mom likes to say, it was clearance price. Um, right. <laughs> and they offered me a, a very generous scholarship. So I ended up going there and right. got a degree in international finance. And Amazing. Uh, never worked in that space. Immediately right. went back to working in food and just, I can't imagine doing anything else. I love the immediate immediacy of yeah. it. I love the the community that evolves in restaurants. There's just nothing else like it. I really, I think I've said this before, but I really feel like they're just food people. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, most, most people listening, I would imagine to this show and on this network are, but I never, until I went back to get my food studies master's, I had never been in a room with other people that just wanted to talk and think about food. Yeah. And it was it was like I found my tribe. Like I was so happy because it's all I ever really wanted to think about or talk about, you know, forever. Yeah. And I, I've had moments in my life where I'm like, is there something like, should I talk to someone about this? But like, (laughs) I can remember being in second and third grade and like, just fixating on what I was going to eat for lunch. And like, I would keep bags of gold fixed uh, goldfish trail mix yeah. in my desk and I would like parcel them out throughout the day. Like everything yeah. in my, in my world has always revolved around I think food. There is, I mean, I think that there probably is something defining, you know, that, that, that we all kind of the Venn diagram that we all kind of have in common. I mean, I think similarly to like fashion people, sure. you know, there are people that are like, they were just always into it and they were always marching to the beat of their own drum and they, you know, they had that, like that thing. Um, so how, so going back to, so you got this business degree, mm-hmm. but then you. Um, and I just couldn't go work in finance. I actually, so I graduated college mm-hmm. um, and got a job bartending at a TGI Fridays okay. in Poughkeepsie, New York. Cool. Um, and that, that to me, even as like wonderful and weird and miserable as that experience was all at the same time, Mm -hmm. it was so much more rewarding than going into the city every day and like working in an office, a bank. Yeah. And I also, I had parents who didn't have super traditional career paths. My dad, uh, 
is a refrigeration mechanic. His uh-huh. grandfather worked on some of the first refrigerated train cars in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, oh, wow. carrying that produce out of That's the county. Very yeah. important. Yeah, so having he, a refrigerated product. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I grew up with a, a father who like his whole world was refrigeration mm-hmm. and that was all he had ever worked in. And then my mother runs that business with him. Right. Um, so I didn't really have this like strong example of like an upstate New Yorker, or Long Islander who like commutes into the city and works right. in finance every day. Like, I don't even think I knew what finance was right, when right. I got my degree. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I just, I never. And how did that end you up in Manhattan? So I had a friend who was, working in finance and looking to move to the city who Mm -hmm. I had been a roommate. He was a roommate of mine in college. And he said, Hey, why don't you come work in Manhattan? And I said, okay. And I immediately looked for restaurant jobs. Right. Um, because that was the only thing I really felt like I was qualified to do. And I was really fortunate. I landed a job with Le Pen Quotidien. Mm -hmm. I started as an assistant restaurant manager with them and within two years was running their national training program. Amazing. Yeah. That's so so cool. Yeah. What a a great job. It was a really fun job. Yeah. An amazing group of people to work with. And a great experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you can run a restaurant or 80 restaurants in the tri-state area, you can pretty much do anything. I totally agree. And that led you to to Taim or did that? That led to Taim. So my boss at Taim um, had been at Le Pen Quotidien and she, I already loved Taim and was obsessed with the food. And she said, hey, we're doing this really cool thing. We're going to take this existing great New York concept Mm -hmm. and we're going to operationalize it and start to scale. Yeah. And that just sounded like so much fun to me. So join them. um, And yeah, they're opening in Georgetown in Washington, D.C. in a few weeks, which is so amazing for them. I love Anat too. I have to say, like, I think she's just like the bee's knees. She, yeah. So then how did Pilot Works come about? So Pilot, can you tell us a little bit? I mean, I think a lot of people you know, a lot of people really know about pilot sure. works and then a lot of people probably don't at all. So yeah. maybe just totally for those who don't. Um, so I actually have a, I've learned about pilot works through a friend who was a recruiter, um, who had seen the opportunity online and she's like, this job is all about community and kitchen operations mm-hmm. and like helping brands start to scale. And I was like, Oh, that sounds like such a good fit. Um, so I joined with them. Um, I think in March of 2018, Um, And my role was to step in. They had just received a round of funding. They were trying to become the largest uh, operator of shared commercial kitchen space in the U.S. Um, They had just closed a round of of funding and had taken on leases with four new locations. So I think their most known one was in Brooklyn. They had about 10,000 square feet of commercial kitchen space that Mm -hmm. different operators, uh, everyone from like caterers to consumer packaged goods, producers uh, could come in and uh, rent time by the hour uh, to have access to licensed commercial kitchen space. So, And were they, I mean, was it more than that? Like, were they trying to sort of also build kind of an incubator, accelerator, distributor? Like, were they, it felt like they just took too many things on a little bit. Maybe too many things on and too geographically diverse Mm -hmm. but yes so they had hired an amazing woman who was like employee number seven at kickstarter to lead community um and she was she was building out uh kind of that community element the educational element of what we were doing um and then we also had an amazing guy named chris wren who was leading a distribution effort he had been with union kitchen in dc so we had all of these like really great people yeah it just wasn't scalable and I don't think that we figured out the core product quickly enough. Right. And so you left and you went to WeWork. I went to WeWork, So yes. this is exciting, everybody, yeah. because the audience for this show is probably going to be very excited to hear what WeWork is doing. So tell us. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> um, so... As Pilotworks was winding down, um, WeWork had kind of been been watching, I think, uh, from afar and was interested in, obviously interested in shared workspace, interested in food, and had wondered what shared workspace for food entrepreneurs could look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was very fortunate to land a job there. I'm the first labs manager for a program called WeWork Food Labs. Cool. Um, and the entire concept is just to have dedicated physical workspace for early stage companies working in food. So we work with CPG brands, hospitality brands, companies working in food tech, ag tech, vertical and urban agriculture. Mm-hmm. And at its core, the, the, the thesis is just by having early stage companies in the same industry sitting in the same space solving for the same problems, 
a lot of good can come of that. That's um, true. And then additionally, the, the companies are offered a subsidy. Uh, so the cost of a desk within Food Labs is about 50% the market rate right. uh, that you would pay at a standard WeWork. And then we have an added layer of programming. So I'm on site as the first program manager. We put on between four and six events a week. Wow, um, that's yeah. a lot. It's a lot, but some of them are small. It can right. be as casual um, as every Monday morning, the startups come together and share any opportunities or asks that they might have of right. the group. Um, and then we do like practice pitch days, demo days, Very like cool. big full scale productions. And does WeWork invest in the companies? WeWork does invest. So WeWork has um, a fund called the Creator Fund, mm-hmm. which has uh, invested an initial million dollars into a cohort of eight companies um, that are yet to be selected. So that is the first WeWork's first foray into the accelerator space. Right. Um, but each in exchange for equity, I'm assuming. in exchange for equity, okay. it is super founder friendly. So effectively, uh, we're issuing eight one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars safe notes. Right. And each of those safe notes is capped at three million dollars. So it shakes out to about four percent equity. Right. Um, and some of the other accelerators out there, the ask is between eight and ten percent. So yeah. it's. I always tell people accelerator money is definitely not the cheapest money on the block. Um, But we thought it was important that it wasn't just a grant that we actually took equity because the brands that we're choosing to invest in, it should be fairly important to their success that WeWork is truly invested in them. No, I mean, I I think it's very cool. And you were telling me when we first met about sort of the background. And tell me if I'm I'm wrong here. But I think there was something that we were speaking about sort of the the initial kind of mission of WeWork and how the goal was to have these young companies and totally. these entrepreneurs yeah. together and like sharing ideas and sharing just, as you said, like just being in the same physical space, things kind of, you know, grow out of that. Sure. Um, but basically with the success of WeWork, a lot of that office space isn't actually used by small, young yeah, I think we're companies, at, right? Yeah, it's it's been a crazy shift in our membership. So, I mean, we effectively started by leasing office space and then leasing it back to smaller companies that right. couldn't afford to sign a traditional 10-year commercial lease, right. which ended up, it created um, this environment where you had a lot of first-time founders and entrepreneurs yep. and freelancers. As we've grown, I think some larger companies were attracted to that. Yeah. And now over 40% of the Fortune 500 hold WeWork office space wow. in some capacity, um, which is great. And and there's room in our ecosystem for both. But the yeah. WeWork Labs business line was really started to preserve space for startups within right. WeWork, which I think is so cool. And what's, what's happened as we've grown is now not only can we give them the physical office space and activate those leases for them without them needing to like sign their lives away. We also now have this massive audience of consumers and early adapters who are like just standing there waiting to see the innovation that these smaller brands crank out. It's so No, I mean, I, you know, just the, just the idea of getting your product in front of even a quarter or eighth of the people that are in WeWork, you know, is very, very cool. Okay, so we're going to take a little break, and when we get back, we're going to talk to Tessa, and I'm going to get all of your advice on what founders are doing well, what some could be doing better, um, and all that fun stuff. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718 362 three five three nine a reason to be 
I'm back with Tessa Price, um, leads programming for WeWork Food Labs. That's your yeah, official. Yeah, that is the, uh, <laughs> the thing I do. <laughs> so I, I want to get back to WeWork, but I want to talk about you a little bit because I feel like between Pilot Works and this new role, you're seeing a lot. Um, <clears throat> you're seeing a lot of new ideas and new entrepreneurs, and you're probably seeing some grow right in front of your eyes. And I'd love to hear some thoughts on what the, what the ones that are growing well you think are doing really right. Um, maybe some red flags that you see and how you're thinking about all of that right now. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the single strongest indicator of success with a startup is the founder Mm -hmm. and the founder's energy. Um, it's, I don't want to say that I can like gauge someone's success within our first interaction, but typically I can walk out of a meeting with a founder and, and, really have a good sense of how committed they are to their their brand and how strong their brand is. Can we hone in on that a little bit? Because I was literally just on the phone with someone who um, asked me if my projections in two years are perhaps a bit conservative. Mm. And I said, um, yeah, because I'm a 47-year-old woman and I've run a brick-and-mortar business for seven years and I'm just not going to... I'm just not going to yeah. put my pie in the sky thing. And it's a bit of a liability for me in some ways, because when investors look at that number, they automatically discount it because they think that I'm putting down the best case scenario, but I'm kind of purposely kind of holding my ground and keeping to my bottom up. So when you talk about founder energy, what specifically, because I've met some founders that have like a lot of energy and they seem super confident and I definitely think they have an easier time raising money. Sure. But I also a little bit pride myself on the fact that I'm not that way. And I'm hoping that the people that end up choosing me kind of recognize that. So what, if you can, because I know it's hard because we're talking about energy, sure. but what in that energy and how can a founder out there who's learning from this you know, it's hard to change your energy entirely, but like, what are some of those sort of hard to describe little nuances to, to that energy that you mean? Totally. I mean, I think for me, a lot of it is, is honesty Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily even that I talk to a founder and I think they're lying to me. It's often that I'll meet with someone and they'll have, they'll be really excited and they'll have a term sheet and this and like connection to this buyer and then I meet with them again in two months and they're in the same place and it's like people right. feel this need to inflate yeah. what they're doing and it's sometimes yeah. it's okay to just lay a very clear path yes. of where you are and where you're heading yep. and then share with me the wins when you do have them and yeah. that's it's like this whole Theranos thing of mm-hmm. like you have to always have a term sheet and you have to always be doing this and it's like you know it's right. sometimes okay to not have met the next greatest VC or to not have a connection to Whole Foods. Like founders that are genuine and clear headed in their understanding of where their brand is and where they're going are the ones that are easiest to help. Yeah. I mean, I like to think that it's interesting because that's a, I mean, I can literally speak to it because you, you know, you, you need to find whether it's a buyer, right? Like the dairy buyer at so-and-so grocery market you need to find a reason to ping them again, or it's an investor. So you have to kind of create this, like there's this momentum and you got to hop on the train because at the end of the day, it does feel like the brands that, and the, and the founders that can kind of create that FOMO a little bit in both the buyers and the investors, they seem to win. I don't know that they win long-term. I think that that's where, you know, there's going to be some sort of reckoning at some that's point where pilot works comes in. And yeah, I think I'm, that's a great, mm-hmm. I'm kind of in this unique position of, I was just a part of a startup who raised a ton of money, yeah. got a lot of people really excited. We had 63 investors yeah. and they were all like, this is the next great thing. And then, I mean, it closes with less than 24 hours notice. Yeah. I mean, it's, I am very acutely aware of the impact of that kind of energy. And I think having worked in it for nine months, I can recognize it in other people. And that's kind of the cool thing about my role is I'm not 
actually investing right. in most of these companies that yeah. we're working with. We have 55 startups yeah. in our space that aren't in the accelerator program. Right. Um, so I kind of get to give them guidance and yeah. say like, well, like last time we met, right. like you had like, where are we with that? Right. And it's, it's kind of cool to, to be an outside third party voice yeah. that can be a record. It's a voice of reason. Yeah. No, I think that's amazing. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I'm just going to add in my two cents here, like, because I do advise a lot of people. And I do think that there, there's this line, you know, there's like a, there's like the, the, and it's, I hate to say it, it's mostly guys that are just like, yeah, we're just crushing it. Like, it's going to be the blah, 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 whatever. And then there's, there tends to be sort of the other end of the spectrum, which is like, I don't know, I hope it works out, you know, and you can't really go down that road either. But I think you just have to find your tone where you are. I did, I, I, I think I shared this with you, I'm not sure, but I had dinner with someone who could have been a potential investor, old friend, and um, asked me how fundraising was going. And I was like, you know, it's really interesting. I'm learning a lot about the different stages of VC and blah, blah, blah. And afterwards, my other friend was like, he didn't ask you that. Like, he he set it up. He, like, tossed the ball so you could be like, it's amazing. We're doing great. It's so much fun. You don't have to be overly earnest, you know, which is something that I have worked on, you know. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. And I think... You need to know your product. You need to know your product market fit. You mm-hmm. need to be so fucking, am I allowed to say Yeah, you, you are need totally, to be so everyone says fucking that. excited about yeah. what you are doing and the team that you are building. Yeah. And then if people are attracted to that energy, which they will be, yeah. then you can celebrate that. Yeah. But you don't need to create this like fake buzz yep. around what you're doing yeah. because that's, that's when startups fail. I think it's also when people kind of get super anxious, you know, like I don't want to ever put something out there and then have to ever say like, well, it didn't happen. You know, that's terrifying. Okay. So energy is sort of your, uh, your biggest indicator. Um, and would you say the flip of that, that the biggest red flag is, is sort of the, uh, yeah. Like I would say it's, it's a lack of of clarity. Mm-hmm. It's like a lack of vision or a lack of mission. Um, when I meet with a brand and they have, they're launching 14 different things. <laughs> right. And I'm like, which one is the one that, like, what matters? Right. Um, the, my other, my biggest pet peeve, and maybe this is again, just personal experience, but like what I call the techification of food. Yeah. Well, that's where you and I wanted to hold hands yes. and dance. <laughs> just like dance into the sunlight, <laughs> into the sunset. Because it's, Cause it's mean, not, because it's not tech. No. It's food. No. Uh, yeah. And it's like visceral and real. And it is maybe like, I mean, I'm sure in the future we will no longer need to eat. <laughs> but for right now, like it yeah. is one of the realest parts of yes. being alive. And 90% of groceries are still bought yes. in an actual yes. brick and mortar store. Totally. And of course that will change, but it's not going to change that dramatically that fast. Totally. And F- like fresh, especially they're having a really hard time figuring out how to do that. Um, and it's interesting because I, you know, I think that where you and I kind of had a really fun discussion. And again, I don't have a finance background, so I don't really entirely a hundred percent know what I'm talking about. But what I've picked up on in the last couple of years is that tech investors thought food was sexy and wanted to sort of apply a lot of the same rules of engagement to food, um, looking for, you know, food brands that are quote unquote tech companies because they sell online or because they do digital community stuff. A lot of those brands actually come to a place like Haven's Kitchen to build actual in in like real life community and connection. And I think that those companies are learning at this point that it's getting a little more expensive to be digitally native with no distribution in stores. So they're all kind of trying to figure out, we all need all of it. We need the tech and we need the, you know, the real life. I think one of the things that seems to be happening is that for a food brand, our goal is not to get to, I mean, at least my goal is not to get to the place where I'm too big to get acquired. And I think that that's kind of what's interesting about if you're looking for 
a, a tech-like return, you're basically looking for a food company that's you know se- selling hundreds of millions of dollars. The bigger you get, the fewer people there are, companies there are to buy you. So it's kind of a false, it's just a false comparison to begin with. Completely. And I I also, I say, I say the techification of food, but then I also, like some of the brands I get the most excited about are food tech brands who are actually innovating in ways where it's like true food tech and they're, they're doing things that are going to make people's lives better. Yes. Food more accessible. Yep. Food more nutritious, which right. like that I also get equally excited about. It's when there's like that weird Venn no, diagram like being of a, like a chip company that says you're a sure. tech company because you sell on Instagram. Yes. Right. And you own your consumer. Your potatoes or blockchain. Like Right. Great. Or because you have a text hotline and you can sure. text people about the flavor of chip that makes you a tech company. Which yeah. <laughs> I you know how I feel about that. Um so what do you think most founders are looking for? Like what, what are the common themes that you see oh gosh. Like, that they like need? Like just what they need? Yeah. At that stage early on, you know, what do we all kind of need? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of their needs um, are capital related. Yeah. Um, so everyone, so, and, and I say that, but I also think it's like figuring out like their rev model. Like right. so many brands need to, like yeah. they have a great idea and then they need help figuring out how to make money from it, yep. which is one thing. Sometimes that involves raising outside capital. Sometimes that involves some like more creative fundraising efforts. Right. Um, so that's definitely one. I think they need to build great teams. Yeah. A lot of solo founders will come into our space and a big part of what they're looking for is to bring on a COO or to bring on like a head of sales, someone right. who can really be in this with them. Right. Um, I, I think those are two of the big ones. And then like physical production space. Like if you are talking yeah. an actual food brand, yeah. it's surprisingly hard to find a licensed place to make your food. Well, especially if you have small volumes. Totally. I mean, that's... And I mean, you, you know, know this more, yeah. than, more than anyone. Yeah. It's hard. It's very hard. And, you know, I think a lot of the really good, you know, the quality packers out there don't want to touch brands that sure. don't have the volume yet because they're just too risky. So you end up you know, kind of trying to make this model where eventually your margins will look okay because you'll have that kind of scale and you won't be kind of ordering everything and doing everything by hand. But again, getting there takes a few years and that takes money. So it's, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a vicious cycle. Um, And what do you think, you know, the companies that you're seeing, because I'm guessing you see a lot of companies, are there, is there less food and more beauty is there less traditional food and more sort of quote unquote functional supplement D type of food? Huh. Like, where do you see the trends? A lot of functional food, mm-hmm. um, a lot of machine learning and AI enabled pro- like CPG products, platforms. Um, I think so. Basically, like personalization using for sure machine like learning. Personalized- like this is the right sauce yes. for you because yeah. you like to work out and you have brown hair. Totally. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it, like even like personalized nutrition, right. I think, um, will be yeah, huge in the future. One. Um, I mean, CBD, I think is mm-hmm. a dying trend, which is kind of interesting. At yeah. least in my space, people seem to have like, yeah, well, I think cause the away. big companies are figuring out how to just add it into their mm-hmm. already, you know, to their lineup already. So they don't necessarily need To find all these small innovators, you know, to do it. Um, And then the other things that we're seeing are, so a lot of like eco, eco conscious and friendly. Um, So everything from like every alternative you can imagine from traditional dairy, traditional seafood, traditional beef, pork, whatever. Um, So many alternatives and a lot of really cool ones that like are like just light years from what existed when right. I was growing up yeah. and it was like the little morning start. Yeah. Right. Like all of those. <laughs> um, and then a lot of innovation around the actual distribution of products. Yeah. I'm water is being taken out of everything and reintroduced at the source. That's yeah. like, and it's crazy. No, I, that's, so, I was thinking about that. Right. Because I, you know, I'm in my shower and I'm looking at everything and I'm like, there could be a time in the not so distant future where all of these things are gels or powders yep. You put them in a very lightweight bottle, you add water, you shake it up, 
and then that's your soap and your shampoo and you know your totally. cleaning detergent and all of it that's yeah it is very cool um I learned the other yeah. day that Starbucks spends 800 million dollars a year uh-huh. just to ship milk in the U.S. not wow. to buy the milk yeah that's just on the crazy. ship and imagine the, yeah. the environmental impact of that so of course companies like that I think are just very interested in how do we get things from point A to point B without yeah. shipping like all of the extra packaging and no, water it's, around. I mean I've seen the almond butters yeah. or you know that I yeah, guess yeah. it's the almond milks that are like a it's, it's like, like a paste, paste. And then, yeah. yeah and then you add water and sure. blend it very cool um what do you like is there an investment thesis for the food labs like is there an actual sort of yeah. yeah. Um, so we are really interested, and in, in this I think is not just food labs, but kind of the WeWork investment mm-hmm. philosophy as a whole, but we're interested in social impact investment. So mm-hmm. companies who are really doing the right thing. Um, specific to food, we're looking for companies who are just moving the needle forward when it comes to a more positive food future. WeWork itself has made some pretty strong commitments around the way that we source food. So mm-hmm. we don't spend money on meat or poultry. We're eliminating the use of single-use plastics in our spaces, and we're going carbon neutral by 2023. Nice. Um, yeah, which are all great things. So we're looking for investment that can support those initiatives. Right. Um, and then, I mean, obviously investing in companies who have the strong potential to impact the WeWork world. Right. So be it to better the experience of our members, uh, better experience for our employees, to improve the way we construct our buildings, to improve the way we bring food into our buildings. Right. Like that's all really exciting to us. Very cool. Going back to single use plastic for a second, because our pouches. So we're doing TerraCycle, which is right. very cool, which makes them a hundred percent recyclable. Um, I, toyed you know I mean a I like the delivery system I like the fact that it makes you feel fun and creative I like the fact that it's like a paint easy too it's easy um but at you know they aren't you know first of all I have issues with like the whole recycling infrastructure because people think if you put it in the garbage that says recycling something magical is going to happen and most likely it ends up in landfill so I love the fact that TerraCycle like if you send these packages back to TerraCycle, we pay for it. Mm-hmm. But if you if you send them back, you are a hundred percent guaranteed that they are recycled, which I love. Um, but also just on like a fuel perspective, like big picture eco, I actually think the plastic pouch is a better choice than a glass jar. Sure. Um, do you guys have? Do you look at that kind of nuance in the you know because ha- single use plastic is a it's a wide For net. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have an entire sustainability team who is right. like working through the nuance of that. I think what you see at WeWork is that we are such a company of action. Mm-hmm. Like when we made the decision to go meat free, that was because we had a sustainability audit done. And just a few weeks later, right, Adam, that was it. our CEO announced like, you know what? We can just not spend money on yeah. meat or poultry using the WeWork credit card. Like yep. it's not hard. We can do that. Yeah. Um, and it was a similar approach to plastic. So previously, if you had if you had gone into a WeWork, you would have noticed like a stack of plastic cups next to the iced coffee right. or the beer. Now it's metal tin cups. So right. I think that that's where it starts. And then with both of those decisions, we've realized that there are gray areas and there's nuance. And and that's where we're very fortunate in being a big company. Can you tell I get a little defensive about my pouches? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. But it's it's so hard. It's it's so hard. It's very hard. And, you know, everyone's like, well, why don't you just set up pumps in all the stores across the country filled with sauce? And then people can like bring their Tupperware. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be cool, except that we're... Yeah. Thank you, Matt. You think that's a good idea? Oh, was that your idea? Are you saying... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's hard. It's Grocery really hard. stores aren't like, yes, Haven's Kitchen, thank you for so sure. much for that idea. Yeah. We're going to put a pump at <laughs> checkout for your sauce. Like, you have to buy space at these places, you yeah. know? Eventually, when we're really big, um, then we'll have pumps everywhere, you know? I mean, I think things will be bulk, you know, generally... I think a lot more will be bulk um, as the consumer moves in that direction. But at the end of the day, it's just expensive for little companies. For sure. And I I think that's where WeWork sees her larger responsibility in the sense that, like, we're a big company Mm -hmm. and just 
a small amount of thought into how we're acting can have a really substantial impact. And we're just kind of asking that the other large companies that we work with and the members who occupy our spaces make some of the same considerations. No, that makes sense. Um, And so I'm assuming you guys invest pre-revenue or not yet. We do. So yes. So the accelerator, um, program is open to companies from pre-revenue all the way through like, and just for founders out there, have you, are you actively taking applications? So we closed the application window. We had about 700 applications, which was phenomenal for eight spots for eight spots. But the good news is we will be doing this again. Um, and the thought is really to grow and scale this program. So this is not no opportunities have been lost. Right. Um, and then WeWork also maintains that separate investment arm right. um, and is actively investing right now. So Very cool. Yeah. Okay, so for founders out there that want to try to apply or to try to be a part of the program, is it very easily accessed on the WeWork yeah, website? Yeah, they or? can find it online at wework.com backslash foodlabs or okay. they can shoot an email to foodlabs at wework.com okay, cool. uh, with any any and all questions. Right. Um, and we can also add them to a mailing list to, to learn about the next iteration of the accelerator. Very cool. Okay. So back to the brands. Um, are you seeing other than sort of like creating sort of these false kind of like, yay, this is happening. And then six months later, yay, it's still happening. Are you seeing any other sort of mistakes that you wish that we wouldn't make? Are we growing too quickly? Are we opening too many doors too soon? Are we not investing in certain things that we should be? Are we over-investing in things? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, it's so hard because I like the brands are all like my children. Yes. Like I love them all <laughs> and want them all to be so successful. What do you find yourself sort of like mantraing? Um, like product market fit. Product like, market fit. Right. Why? Like. There, I mean, I, I regularly will meet with like the Whole Foods buyers, the um, like reps from UNFI, and it's always a conversation of like, where's their white space? Right. And they often will just look at me and say like, don't even think about bringing up X product category. Granola, like, right. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not going to name names as to what the Whole Foods buyers won't look at, but there right. are whole categories of product that they're like, yeah. don't even bring it up. I don't care if it's the latest, the greatest, the yeah. best you've ever had. We just don't have room. We don't have room. I do talk about that a lot on here because I kind of fell ass backward into sauce because it was what our students wanted. It's a hard category. Well, yeah. I mean, it turns out there's actually a lot of space for a refrigerated Which I, fresh yeah. sauce. There's just the, the the sauce itself is very, very crowded. It's in the middle of the store. For it's sure. also a, I mean, it's a $6 billion market, so yeah. it's massive. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think all the time, like before you invest the next however many years of your life and however many, you know, you know, dollars, um, really think about your category. Totally. I never, I, I didn't know what a category was when I first started. Yeah. I knew that there were probably a buyer somewhere, but I didn't know, for instance, that, you know, every category has a different review and a different buyer. And of course that makes so much sense. But I just, I, I kind of say on this show a lot mm-hmm. and to, you know, just be very aware. And if you have a great food product, and it's not right for a grocery sort of distribution model. There are a lot of Absolutely. other ways to grow that business. It doesn't mean yes. that the business is done. It just yep. means barking up Whole Foods tree is not a good idea. Totally. And I also think companies tend to think that there are a few like make or break companies. Like getting your right. products on a Whole Foods shelf right. isn't a guarantee of success. No. Is it something to be celebrated? Absolutely. But it yeah. doesn't, it's not that you've made it and the, the challenge is over. I also so often see companies who they like I've actually and I've had a founder not in this role but in a previous role Mm -hmm. actually look at me we're standing in the department of health and she looked at me and said no one told me it would be this hard and I just looked at her and I was like everyone told you it would be this hard less than one (laughs) percent of food startup founders will will see their business survive a year yeah like it's a really hard industry and that I don't say that to deter anyone I know I just say it because it's like you have to be all in you have to love what you're doing and be all in yeah yeah no I mean it is funny because the the, I think that the media does a really good job of showing you the success stories and I think that Instagram does a really good job of painting like 
oh my gosh, we got this thing and we were in that thing and we got this prize. And, you know, um, again, you don't want to be like, wah, wah, you know, because you do need to kind of, you know, I try to be, I try to be pretty candid Mm -hmm. on the show, but of course I'm not going to tell you about the time. Well, I have actually talked about the time I cried, but I mean, I cry a lot (laughs) actually, but you know, I mean, I think there's just, it's, it is really hard. And every day there are, you know, what you start getting kind of like you're looking in your inbox for a win, you know, because like something doesn't get delivered or something doesn't show on time or, you know, you thought you would have a bigger week of sales than you did or, and, you know, the, the, the wins kind of punctuate the losses and, sure. you, and you get a little bit addicted to, to that, which I don't think is necessarily healthy, you know, for us. For sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So a couple more questions. Um, do you think that there are, there's going to be a shift? I mean, I feel like there's already a little bit of a shift. I think there was a time where if you had a good idea and a pretty package, you basically got money. Um, I'm not sure that that is still the case. I think it is. I see that happen still quite frequently, but I feel like there is maybe a little bit more like, what do the margins look like? Maybe. And, you know, what do sales actually look like? Um, are you seeing that? Yes. Um, I think I'm seeing people who have been in this space for a long time, like some of the bigger food groups, the older VCs who have been investing in this space, like they have, they now recognize, or maybe for a long time, and that's why they're still here, have recognized what a responsible investment into the food space looks like. Right. But at the same time... There are a lot of people not responsibly investing. Yes, there yeah. are so many people not responsibly investing um, right. and not understanding... Just the just because you are a VC and you've made successful investments and you've helped X, Y, and Z tech companies scale, it doesn't mean that you can turn around and do the same for right. a restaurant group or a CPG brand. Yeah. Like the needs are very different. Yeah. The makers or the founders are often very different. So yes, on yeah. one hand, I see some more like, and I think we have we have more data and more insight and more resources than we've ever had when making these investments. But you also are, I'm just seeing so much right. interest in investing in the space. It is funny going back to Theranos. Did we talk about Theranos? I when, don't think okay, we did. Okay. Cause I, I mean, I'm was like obsessed. <laughs> <The problem. laughs> I mean, it was a problem. Like yeah. I was like up all night mm-hmm. after watching I, the yes. movie and I just find the whole thing kind of like this harbinger of, it's like a, it's like a pre- and the thing that got me the most about that is that every single one of those investors didn't pause. I just, I forget about her. I actually, I, she was like, yeah, you know, she's her own. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's that they didn't, they were, they were so, and that's the thing. That's what builds up. And that's why as a founder, you're like, wait, if I'm not doing that, if I'm mm-hmm. not getting them all riled up, you know, then I'm going to miss out. Um, I just, it's so funny that you brought that up. Um, Okay, so last question. Well, no, second to last question. Um, Problems that you've helped helped them solve, you know, and and do you find that there are consistent problems that you're continuing to help solve? And is it just as simple as like making a few connections for them or helping them think about that model or... I think a lot of it is connection based. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I'm in this really cool position of knowing the startups really intimately. And like, they're very open with what their challenges are and what their struggles are. So I don't always get that like, like very saccharine, like investor smile. Yeah. But then I also know the VCs and I know what they're genuinely interested in and what their concerns are. And being able to match make in that space is really, really fun. I mean, I I think you have the most fun job ever. Literally have the most fun job of all time. So last question, what has been the highlight? Like what's been a moment where you're like, I love my job. That is so, I mean, I feel like I have many of them. I think one of my coolest early on moments where I was like, oh, this is actually going to work, um, was walking into our shared office space Uh and every single member of our space, every single startup 
was sitting around one laptop helping a founder build out their deck. Uh, and they were yeah. just like, and they're startup founders, so they all have other things to be yep. doing. But I just like, it was yeah. like three days into the program yeah. and they were just, this guy was rushing to get a deck yep. out and they just did it. And I was like, that is yeah. just, humans are still no, kind he, of great. Yeah, and I think... I think that the entrepreneurs, I mean, I'm a very big believer that like my cookie is meant for me and mm-hmm. your cookie is meant for you. So if I share a cookie, sure. it's not, I'm not losing a cookie. Sure. Um, <laughs> okay, Matt, <laughs> thank you so much for that face that you just made. Um, no, but you know what I mean? Like I'm very, I, I like it. I feel like, I feel like sharing doesn't take anything away and that the more that we support each other, the better for all of us. And that's something I hope that the rest of the world can learn from the food entrepreneur yeah. community because we do that really well. Yeah, we do. do like that we're really a connected well. people. Like we're used to like yeah. sharing very physical experiences with each other. And if there's one thing that like food can kind of impart to the rest of the VC and tech space, yeah. I hope it's that. Yeah, me too. All right. On that note, we are out of time. Tessa, thank you so much thank for being you. here. Uh, WeWork.com backslash food labs. Or food labs at WeWork.com. Or food labs at WeWork.com. Or you can just call Tessa. Here's That's, her cell phone. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, Matt, are we allowed to mention your wedding? Go for it. Okay. Matt's getting married. That's all. Yeah. Ali's <laughs> <That's> <laughs> officiating. I'm going to be, yes. It, we're going to do it live on In the Sauce. Yeah, um, wow. <laughs> um, anyway, congratulations, Matt. Thank Apparently, you. you've been engaged for some time. I just seem to be the last one to know that because I was told to congratulate well, no, you. Well, no, the listeners were the last one to know. This right. is the first time it's gone out on the radio. Oh, my gosh, really? Okay, so, so everyone just like call Heritage Radio and congratulate Matt on his engagement. Yeah, and, or better yet, here, my checking account right. number is... <laughs> Do you have like a like a GoFundMe for your wedding I or mean, something? I mean, there should be one. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, thank you for listening. And I have um, a couple more guests that are going to be really fun for the rest of the summer season. And then I'll be back. So see you next time. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.